Hi, losers. Hi, losers. We're really the losers today, aren't we? We're such losers. <laughs> I think we might be able to salvage the bit that we just recorded. And so I'm going to... Ins- let's insert it here, where we're really proud of ourselves for fixing our issues. As you can probably hear, we didn't fix them because we've lost a bit of crystal cut clarity. Come here, you've got chocolate. I've got babka on my face. I knew I had babka on my face. I was trying to work out where it was. You did. You were right. I was like, did you see? I was like, yeah. (laughs) I was wiping on it, and I was like, when am I going to hit the spot where the babka was? I can tell what you were doing. (laughs) Like a hamster. You were missing it so much. (laughs) You just like wiped everywhere except where the chocolate was on your face. On your nose is quite a. Unexpected location. Yeah. I got a re- Actually, no, this is not an interesting story. <laughs> Pip's got some very nice food and now she's wearing it on her face. Yeah, I got it from... Guys, if you want to use my gorilla's code, message me. It was actually really good. I got all this food for like, I think it was £3. Whoa. Because you got £10 off. That's really good. Yeah. The code is LDN10. 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 You can only use it if you love LDN. LDN. So, yeah, we're recording from my phone today, so... This is the cursed episode because we've now tried to record this twice and things have gone wrong. I've just realised maybe it would be good if we put one of my AirPods in each. Or do you think that would be a bad shout? It would probably be a bad shout. I think it would be unnecessary. Okay, that's fine. Sorry. Okay. Okay. That's, that's okay. No, it, was, it was great audio before, but like, guys, if the audio sounds shit... Forgive us. <laughs> forgive us, because like, it's not like all of the other sounds sounded... Well, I got rid of the crackle last episode. You did. I also... I of myself. Um, okay, so... You know that I kept hearing this like small whining noise. Yeah, I've realised it was me. No, I mean, <laughs> um, I've actually now realised I can detect it, and it's really annoying in every single podcast I listen to. So it's just your brain. Well, no, I think it. <laughs> no, I'm still attributing it to like everybody. I'm still attributing it to like recording anything. Just like engaging with audio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like unless you're in a recording studio, I think you're probably going to have it. But now it's really annoying because it's really limited my body. Body. Your body. My body. It's limited to my body to listen to podcasts. Oh no, I'm sorry for you. Oh no, it's very sad. So I don't think you have to keep... Oh, I don't have to keep it alive. No, I think it'll just record. Pip, Pip's like tapping her phone every 20 seconds to stop the screen going dark. I just get really anxious when the screen goes off. I'm like, what's happening on there? It's because millennials are all addicted to our phones. We are. We're addicted to something else as well. Drag, drag race. race! That's right, guys. This is the Drag Race episode. This is the, like... Okay, the second date that we've tried to record it. Mm. The third... Third, like, actual attempt. Time that we've tried... Yeah. Not counting the amount of times we had to turn your laptop off and on, which, if they counted for a time each, would be maybe four times. Four or five times, yeah. I'm like... What's really annoying is that we have just gone through our favourite Drag Race songs twice. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but... I, I don't, don't think I can do it again. I don't think I can do it again. I don't think I can spit that beautiful... Release the beast! Bimini! <laughs> get a hold of these girls from this new bomb me. Gender bender. System offender! <laughs> I think rough my lentils tender. They'll be scared to embrace the fam. Whether you're he, she or them. Limbrist, hair flick, creme de la creme, and love yourself. Say that again! But like, okay, normally... Okay, turns out we could do it again. Normally <laughs> when we do that, Becca goes like, collapse for the bing bang ball. Normally it's got a lot more gusto. It's got more gusto. There's a bit less like slipping and sliding over the words. And it will be like at the end of quite a long... Bit. Bit. (laughs) Where we do other hits like... To, 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 to the moon. To the moon. To the moon. I'm gonna take you away. To, to, to to the moon. We'll have done that, but with all the various songs for a while. This is so like, you know, when theatre kids are like, oh my God, no, I can't sing. (laughs) No, don't make me... Happy birthday. I was literally looking at you like, that's not a RuPaul (laughs) (laughs) RuPaul invented birthdays. You heard it here first. RuPaul could have invented birthdays. He's old enough. I'd credit. (laughs) 
That was not necessarily me. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Are you in a roast? Are you doing the roast challenge <laughs> the right now? Roast. Becca's got her reading glasses on. The library is open. open. And we're talking about RuPaul's Drag Race today. Um, the first time that we recorded this, it was sort of a bit more like political and... Yeah, economic. well, it was, it was mid... It was when season 13 of US Drag Race and season 2 of UK Drag Race were like ongoing... I yeah, think. I think we recorded just after or just before U- UK 2 was ending. Yes. yeah. To be fair, it took us a long time to re-record because we were both quite upset about the finale of that series. Yeah, it's pretty traumatic. It was actually, and I'm going to remind everyone that this is a year that coronavirus was still in our lives. I think it was probably the most traumatic thing to happen <laughs> this year. Bimini not winning Drag yeah. Race. Also, sorry, like, we're not going to apologise. That's not a spoiler. That happened months ago. Oh, yeah. So. I... I feel like there's been graffiti everywhere. Like, Bimini was robbed. Bimini's and like gra- The streets of London. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be out after dark. <laughs> you know that, like, anti-masker protest? I thought it was actually about Bimini being robbed. <laughs> um, our, so we watched every episode of Drag Race together, like, virtually via Netflix party. Yeah. we and did a that couple in person, actually. Yeah. We did that last year during lockdown as well. And it was yeah, actually it was real. Yeah, it was really nice. It was really nice. And shout out to our friend Alice, as well as friend of the pod, Lena. Yeah, part of our Drag Race fan group. Who we are actually going to see some... Mo- actually, can I announce this? Anyway, yeah, we're yeah, going to yeah. go... We're going to go... <laughs> we're not performing. We're just going to a show. Guys, we're performing with Simone, Bimini, Ahura and Tace in Manchester. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We're not performing. We're going to see them. Um, But don't buy tickets. Don't come and axe murder us. And please don't like bomb the house down <laughs> burn the house down Burning work the house. the house down boots um but yeah we're gonna go see them we're super excited so it's a pretty crazy world being a podcasterist yeah it really is i keep getting hounded by people in the street going pip pip what do you think of cultural current affairs and news and i'm like oh my god that's my day job i just want i just want to hang out right now yeah like i haven't read any subversive articles on it yet oh my god i just want to walk down regent's canal and listen to my music on my AirPods. listen to my own podcast <laughs> yeah okay let's actually uh-huh. talk about drag race um so who's your favorite drag queen of all time okay i'm not gonna lie bimini yeah I think that's fair. I don't. She's not mine, but like, I think for me, yeah, she is. She's the drag queen that have I've most that you've been waiting for. Yeah, she's my yeah. spirit drag queen. Yeah, she really is. And yeah. literally on the first episode, me, Lena, yeah. and Alice were like, "Pip, she's, she's Pip. the one for you." Yeah, exactly. When she pulled that little Norwich city number, and <sighs> I was like, "Of course, I want to own that. Of course, I want to wear that every single day, except in the colours." But for hammers, yeah, I want to wear it in claret and blue. I want it. <laughs> You with like every clothing item. <laughs> Do you do it? I wrote about in Clara Blue. Obviously, I want that. And I could have like, I'm just thinking about all the possibilities. Like, I could have my little bubbles and I could yeah, come down oh the catwalk, like blowing bubbles. Or you could be like in a big bubble that you then pop. Oh my God, I could come down in a zorb. <gasps> yeah. Okay, so like Bimini is just everything. Every single look, that she's, like when she's that spotty thing. And also the, oh. um, the like bacteria look. Oh my that God. That was sensational. Honestly, love that i just i think she's done something really creative with also because my favorites are always the fashion queens yeah but even for a fashion queen she's brought something like completely different and new so it's bimini for me but i will say like with uk as much as bimini was the one i really wanted to win i wasn't sure that she was going to win whereas from day one like literally the first episode of US Drag Race season thirteen, we were like, "Well, Simone is the only contender." Win. Yeah, but that made it kind of boring. It did, yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. So as much as I am gutted that Bimini didn't win, I appreciate that it was a proper competition. Yeah, and she had an actual. Okay, so by the end of it, she obviously should have won. And to be honest, I thought her feedback in the early weeks was unwarranted. But I do also see that she did genuinely grow in what yeah. she was putting out. And but I think Lawrence Cheney like declined. Yeah, same. Whereas Lawrence Cheney was the front runner. Yeah. At first, I was like, I think Lawrence will win. The yeah. How, sorry, like Ellie Diamond getting to the final was a joke. Yeah. Also, they did this thing on both series this year where they had like a, a final four, which it was clearly a final yeah. three, but they're but also really a final two. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Like I love Tace. Okay, but Tace actually, we're really getting into it now. Tace. If you look at the final lip sync between the three, and obviously it isn't done on that final lip sync, but it's kind of meant to be a big component yeah. of it. 
Tayshia won that lip sync. killed it. Yeah, Tayshia won that lip sync. She killed it, yeah. Okay, who's your favourite drag queen of all time? Juno Birch. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Which is not a very, like, productive mm. thing to say on our Drag Race episode because she's not been on Drag Race. But I just love her. She's so weird. Yeah. And her look is so Strange bizarre. And alien, yeah. But so glamorous. And she's such a freak. Yeah. I think is why I like her. Yeah, you love people I love that the freaks. Weird. But it's also, like, a very British sensibility. yeah. I really like, um, okay, so this is a really unknown, like, drag queen, but uh, Bo, Bo Quinn on Instagram, I showed you yeah. him the other day, um, she does these, like, drag wipes that just, she, like, puts on this full face of makeup and then sells her makeup wipes, which I just think is the coolest fucking thing ever. I would yeah. love to be able to sell my makeup wipes because you're literally selling your trash and you're not even known yet. But I feel like you're going for like forty pounds. They're you're amazing. You're underselling it because it's not. It's not like when I oh, take no. my makeup off and it's just like a big brown They're smudge. Like, like works of actual art. Like everyone go look at it. It's up. almost like a printing of her face. Oh, Queen, come on the pod. Yeah, please come on the pod. Juno Birch, come on the pod. Yeah, Bimini, come on the yeah, pod. Yeah, Bimini, come on the pod. Obviously, come Simone, on. come on the pod. Taste, come on the pod. Lawrence, come on the pod. We'll just host you all at mine. We'll be like, if anyone watches. Um, Real Housewives of New York. <laughs> It'll be like Sonia Morgan at the townhouse, which is going to be like, we're holding an LGBTQ fundraiser <laughs> at the townhouse. None of the girls can come because it's just, it's just me and the gays. Me and the gays at the townhouse. So that's going to be us. Which Real Housewives is Lisa Vanderpump on? Beverly Hills. I started watching that the other day. It was just I on thought TV. you'd already watched Beverly Hills. I like, everyone knows Real Housewives like when it's on TV. Yeah, yeah. Well, New York just started back up. I'm not really... Uh, am I enjoying it? I don't know. Anyway, Drag Race. Yeah, sorry. But yeah, these seasons... The season 13 of US mm-hmm. was... It's like the highest rated in terms of views. Yeah. It's won the most awards. Uh-huh. I didn't like it very objectively much. Objectively the worst season I've watched in... Well, objectively the worst season. Yeah. Actually, maybe last season was worse. But they, they had COVID, like... They had COVID at the end. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. Only affected the finale. Yeah. Yeah. But the, season- the top three last season were extraordinary. Yeah. Crystal, Gigi and Jada, they were amazing. Oh, yeah. Okay, true. So there were more, like, outright contenders last season. Yeah, and, like, Jackie Cox. I mean, she was never going to win, but, like, she was really good and fun to watch. <gasps> Sherry Pye. Ooh, that old pedo. Sherry Pye. <laughs> Sherry Blair. <laughs> Pip got her name wrong and said Sherry Blair was that old pedo. <laughs> <laughs> Lena, friend of the pub, was like, Who is that old pedo on Drag Race last week? And I was like, Oh, Cherie Blair. <laughs> what was she like? She was crazy about that. Imagine her as a guest judge. Cherie Blair. Oh my God. You know, who'd be a great guest judge. Who? Princess Diana, RIP. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. She was a friend of the gays. Was she? Yeah. I don't really know much about her. Glam. Her friendships. Her friendships. Who <laughs> would be a great guest? Me. That's right, Rue. Get me on. you'd be a good contender. Oh, yeah. I would love to be a contender on Drag Race, but I don't... I think for some weird, crazy reason, <laughs> it's never going to work out for me. You're not a like, drag queen, yeah, primarily. Primarily. And, like, I don't know. Maybe somebody can tell me. Is there, like, a place where I can maybe get a starter kit of all the makeup? Like, <laughs> Is there an entry level pack or something? Claire's accessories. <laughs> Maybe we can make a, like a critical theory drag starter support group where like Yeah, for like like straight women who are like <laughs> frustrated by their lack of creative pursuits and like fetishize the gay community. Yeah, so it's just like us and our friends. Yeah. Like, oh my god, let's appropriate drag culture. I'd actually love to be able to Vogue, but yeah, me too. with my bloody knees, hopefully after this surgery, I'll be able to bounce around on those fuckers like a... Yeah, thank God for the NHS. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a Vogue, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think we should do, like, go through each individual that was in... ever competed on <laughs> we actually could do that at some point, but let's just go... <laughs> just true, like, too many let's people. go through, like, this season, just... And just like, you know, pick do out it, some highlights. Pick out some highlights. Pick out let's just go through them both. Okay. Just I'm stop. I'm a Candy Muse stan. Okay. Which no one else was. I loved her. Okay. I love that she's deluded. I love that she's a loud mouth. I feel like Candy Muse was one of those drag queens who 
I love every season and then they get to their point where they've had their they time. They reach an expiry date. They reach an expiry date and like I'm I'm not one to just put up with I with am. mediocre. I love a hanger on her. I'm a perfectionist and I seek out perfection in others. I am not perfectionist and I never expect it of others. So with Candy Muse, I just I got to a point where I was like, I kind of am done with you. But then but then towards the very end, she's almost brought it back. Like she's doing quite well in the last ones. I just think she's so I she was never gonna win and mm-hmm. she shouldn't have won. But of all of them, I would go and see Candy perform. Really? I think she I would, would like, like fucking turn it. I think she'd be unreal on stage i don't know if she would because like oh also you know how much i like looks and candy muse yeah i had <laughs> the worst yeah actually of like probably ever ever like <laughs> yeah candy muse was awful i loved her let's talk about the true low light of that season elliot with two uh, uh, oh. i just got to a point where they'd come on screen and i would like go and do we or like make a cup of tea or something yeah i'm not gonna lie i don't want to ugly shame but like <laughs> ugliest person i've seen on tv in a while don't you think mm. the fact that you were hesitating well no because i'm just trying to think to what extent do we think that because it is like such an aesthetic no maybe like if you walked past him in the street you probably you wouldn't bat an eyelid and be like oh my god yeah, that's what I mean, just, but TV but, is meant to be full of, like, beautiful but people. But what I'm saying is I don't watch TV full of beautiful people. Yeah, I watch a lot of reality TV, actually, and still... And, like, not but just glamorous glo- reality TV. Gloomy, groomed reality TV. Like, no, I watch a lot of, like, um, Come Dine With Me. Yeah, I watch a lot of Come Dine With Me, actually. Mm. Mm, regardless of how ugly Elliot is on the outside, she truly was ugly on the inside as yeah, well. Yeah, did you read so. about all the microaggressions and stuff? Yeah, well, you could kind of sense them even on the yeah. show. And I think that a lot of them probably happened in... Um, like, I read about them and saw Candy... I, d- I didn't even read about them too far. I saw on Candy Muse's TikTok. Um, <laughs> but oh, the article I read was literally just like, Candy Muse has gone so, on TikTok. Like, yeah, just yeah. Article's a very generous word for what I read. I love that articles have to reference TikToks now. Know, like, so imagine journalists having to crawl through TikTok. <sighs> the when she was saying that Simone was, like, ghetto about Simone's yeah, do-rag. Yeah, that one? Yeah. Was Just, like, ignorant yeah. racial and then criticism. called Candy aggressive as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Elliot with two T's. I don't know why they stayed on for so long. And for reference, like, Elliot with two T's just means that, like, the male spelling of Elliot is with two T's. But, like, everyone's like, yeah. two T's for what? Like, what do these T's stand for? Like, um, but, yeah, it's literally just, you know, as if you were at, I don't know, a bureaucratic agency. And they were like, what's your name? And then you're like, oh, it's Elliot with two T's. You go to the T's. DBLA and they're yeah, like, what's yes. the second T for? <laughs> oh, my God, girl. Yes, sis. Yes, Hunty Slay Queen. Worked a house down boots. <laughs> Lots of okay, Hunty Slay Queen has really entered like f- normal, normy woman discourse recently. Well, like I say to, it like, a, to uh, be like annoying and ironic. Yeah, I'm like making fun of the women who say it seriously. But like, but I've started saying it too you much. Started saying, yeah, this is the problem with any ironic gesture. Is eventually you do it so much that it becomes, just becomes normal. A, yeah, it just becomes a gesture of reality. Um, Joey. On Joey that season, J. Joey J. <laughs> was that a reference about Jesse Jake? No, that's just his name. Oh, okay. All of <laughs> Joey J's like output was very low effort. E.g., like the not wearing a wig ever, yeah. the using his own name <laughs> as his drag name. It's like he was like, like, I've got some good outfits. Shall I go on drag race? Just go. It's literally me. It's me being like yeah. on my entry level starter kit. Um, being like, oh, what should I call myself? I'm going to call myself Pip M. <laughs> <laughs> Becca being like, oh, Becca S. I did think of a good drag name the other day. Um, Sarah Tonin. Oh, yeah. You told me this one. It's quite good, but. You'd have to do like read your audience. Are they depressed, essentially? And if so, they'll find it funny. Ooh. What was the one you came up with? Oh, God, I don't know. Nefarious Titty. <laughs> <laughs> Never Titty for short. Jokes, that's actually what I'm going to call my cat, but like, I also <laughs> think it would be a fabulous drag name. Um, but potentially a bit appropriative. Lena could use it. I think, do you know what I think would be really funny? Mm. If you had a drag name that, not you, but like one, had a drag name that was just like wildly like insensitive. Imagine being called like Madeline McCann. <laughs> 
Oh my god! Welcome <laughs> to the stage. Bring you to the runway. 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 Kidding. She didn't run away. Crucially, she was um, kidnapped. Kidnapped. Slash. I mean, like R.I.P. Yeah, big time R.I.P. You you missed. I actually saw a TikTok the other day about Random McCann. They were like, I just saw this girl looking really sad in Portugal. And I was like, I'm just, just going to make TikToks now. Every time we see a sad girl in Portugal of, like, um, appropriate age, we're like, oh, no, there she is. I'm sure that Portuguese people are sad as well. Like... It's not just That's why Madeline they put McCann. Portugal on the green list, <laughs> so that everyone can go by Madeleine McCann. <laughs> so that Madeleine McCann can, like, run back home. And not with have to quarantine. Their legs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Imagine if you'd literally been abducted for, like, I don't know. How, I don't even know how long she's been we abducted were, for, We were, like, like, kids. So yeah. it's, like, at least 15 years. 15 years, and then you had to do a 10-day quarantine when you got back in. Um, Tanisha uh, Ramon. Yes, Tamisha Ramon's second run on Drag Race. I'm glad she was on there. Yeah. She was never going to win. I'm, yeah. I, I'm glad that she was on there for, like, herself. But, like, I kind of thought it was a bit of a... It was a bit of, like, a sad shit show. Everyone, it, yeah. like, being like, you don't deserve to be here. And, like, calling mm. her old and stuff. And I was like, she actually really doesn't need this shit. Yeah. Also, it really annoys me when younger drag queens call experienced drag queens old and out of touch. And I'm like... No, that's just experience. Like, yeah. don't you think? There's, there, is some, there is some allure about being, like, young and exciting and new and different, but the younger ones generally well, that's never so like, do quite as well. Jasmine Masters talks about this. So she did this whole video and some, like, follow-up um, various bits of content. I think she went on a podcast to talk about it and stuff. Um, and she says it's called, like, RuPaul's Drag Race Fucked Up Drag. That's, like, the series that mm-hmm. she called it. And the main reason that she, like, accuses Drag Race of having done that is because she says it's, like, subverted the traditional um, hierarchy by which age and experience make you a more valuable performer. Yeah. And she's saying that people, like, queens go in at entry level and because they are palatable and, like, marketable for the Drag Race franchise, they end up earning a lot more money... Mm. than queens who might be more experienced and better performers in the traditional bar circuit and the club circuit. And, yeah. like, they just, like... So they get that... Say they're doing TikToks in their bedroom. They've mm-hmm. never performed, which some of the queens have been. Like, in season one, there were two queens that had never performed on UK Drag Race. Mm. They were just, like, quote-unquote famous from in the internet, Instagram and stuff. Mm. They obviously didn't win. But in the situation where they've become Drag Race queens they can then insert themselves at the top of the hierarchy Mm -hmm. in the clubs and pubs Mm -hmm. and the bars and stuff. And they are reaping the rewards that queens who are older have, like, work to accumulate. Yeah, and if you look, like, at someone like Joe Black on UK this season, like, Joe Black was hugely well-respected by Mm. pretty much every other queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so many of them had grown up on Joe Black shows. Mm. And then Joe Black got a really shit show of it on Drag Race. Because he wasn't compatible with the format and, like, the media Exactly. Side of it. And, like, wasn't necessarily understood because it was an older and different Kind of, the type sa- of not drag. to the same extent, but similar with Ginny Lemon. Yeah. Although, I feel like Joe Black had more to give than Ginny Lemon did. Yeah. In terms of wearing more than a singular colour. I really yeah. hate the... the Monochrome. Limited palette. Like Tina Tina Burner. Tina Burner. Oh my god. I we get it. You yeah. love Ronald McDonald. Let's leave it there. <laughs> fuck Ronald McDonald. Yeah. Do that in your own time. Oh my god, maybe Tina Burner was fucked by Ronald McDonald. Maybe Ronald McDonald was Tina like Burner's father. The yeah. Maybe Ronald McDonald sort of, has like weird energy. Yeah, very pervy energy. What's with the giant shoes? What are you hiding? <laughs> what do you keep? What are you storing in there? What's in there then? What's in there? Is it your big toe? Your massive cock? Oh, <laughs> that wasn't nice. <laughs> also, yeah. Tina Burner went out with Graham Norton. Graham. Graham. Oh, Graham. Um, which Kate Treasure? Graham Norton. Norton. I really love when Michelle says Graham, and you can hear him kind of like he's grinding. like. <laughs> He's like, I can't say anything because these people to, like, pay me so much money. Yeah. yeah. 
Thank you, BBC Three, for the opportunity. He really gets all the best gigs, like Eurovision, Drag Race, and his own show. Where did he come from? Where did he go? Where did he come from? Cotton Eye Joe. Joe. Yeah, Graham Norton. I'm going to look him up on Wikipedia. I can't right now because I'm busy recording my phone. But I'm going to look him up and see where he came from. He was in Father Ted. But yeah, like Tina Burner was awful. I actually really enjoyed Tina Burner as like high value for the show. Oh, did she's you? funny, she's talented, she's kind of bitchy, like big personality. I like those ones. I like the cunts. I like the candy music I don't and mind, Tina Burner. I don't, mind, I don't mind someone being a cunt as long as they've got like... I thought she had to the back chops. it up. I thought she did. I don't think she did. She wore like three colours the whole way through. Yeah, but she was very also, talented. Oh my god, when she did the makeup on Rose. Oh my god. Like she looked like she was using the Pitmonk starter drag pack. She looked like she was using the crayons that you get at Pizza yeah. Express when you were younger. I could do a way better job than that. So like yeah. I'm sorry, she doesn't have the stuff to back it up. She's not I like I thought she did. Um, I would go and see, again, I would, she was never a contender for the show, but I would go and see a Tina Burner gig. I feel like she'd put on a show. Yeah, she probably would. Okay, so like, Olivia, the Tina, Olivia is obviously a way worse drag queen generally in life, I guess, than Tina Burner, because Olivia Lux is just cute, and she kind of dresses how I used to dress when I was 16, which I assume is how old her drag persona is. Like wearing, you know, those cute little skirts. She looks skimpy numbers. She looks like she goes to American Apparel on the weekends and has a great time there. And then goes to like a house party with her friend and Mm. sneaks in some alcohol that her older brother got her and then passes out on the sofa at like like, 9pm. And giggles. But doesn't shag. Yeah, exactly. And she like kisses a boy and then goes and giggles with her friends about it. Like that was her energy. And like the fact that she went further and obviously was always kind of going to go further Mm. from the outset shows you what Drag Race sets up. Because actually it really sets up these people who have room, I guess, for an arc and for growth, which Tina Burner doesn't have. As much as I do dislike her style of drag, I think that she's a much better drag queen than Olivia Lux. Mm -hmm. Like, you would go and see Tina Burner over Olivia Lux. Yeah. And, like... I guess Sister Sister could almost be your example of that on UK. Not that she particularly she did, did that, that well. well. UK was an absolutely great season. It was fucking brilliant. It was so good. Like, why do you think that is? Um, I think, one, because it makes more sense to me as a, somebody from the UK. So there are a lot of idioms that I get more and that I find a lot funnier than the US. Mm. But I think also because it's earlier on and... I think that I think there's actually probably quite a limited pool of incredible drag queens at yeah. a particular in a particular pace mm-hmm. in a particular time in the sense that drag queens are more similar I guess to models or like pop stars and there's kind of a it's a zero sum game like there are some that are incredibly successful because they really fit that place and time and sum up a moment I'm thinking like Bimini and Simone are the perfect examples of like they truth. are the moment. Yeah, they are the moment. Like, and I think as the show continues and goes on further, you get more people trying to replicate previous moments, which is never a good thing. Yeah, like um, I think they were actually talking about this in Red Scare recently. But you know, like Kate Moss kind of almost made modelling worse because you've got so many Kate Moss heroin chic imitators mm. and that's what you've got in US. You've got so many drag queens now in US. Their big inspirations are like season three, season four yeah. queens who they're trying to imitate and that's why Simone is great because she, I feel like she truly brought something new and different. Yeah, well, Amelia Abraham wrote for The Guardian about this and she talks about how RuPaul's Drag Race was originally a spoof mm-hmm. of reality TV. Yeah. It was like tongue-in-cheek mm-hmm. in the sense that it's like, it was camp in Susan Sontag's original definition of camp, mm. which is like taking seriously cultural forms and then elevating them with exaggeration and humour. Mm. But I feel like now US Drag Race has like lost its irony. So yeah. it, it, which is not to say that it isn't camp, more that it showcases camp, but it in itself is not 
a camp format because it takes itself as a TV show very seriously. Yeah, and the fact that it is almost mainstreamed turns it less and less camp because there's something about camp which is kind of meant to be subversive and Mm. on the outside. So the fact that season 13 has had the highest ratings and the most viewers... It almost shows that it's getting away from its kind of camp roots. Yeah, like what's lost when a subculture goes mainstream. Yeah. And that's, I think, a big problem with, I guess, drag and... Not yeah. a problem, but it's it's something that, like, drag culture has to contend with and decide how it's going to deal with that. Yeah, because, like, queens can now conceive of their entire careers within the idiom of drag race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it takes on this thing i mean so drag race has kind of become a route to career progression as much as a a showcase you know you go on drag race yes to to win but also because to be on drag race is to be a profitable drag queen yeah to to make money and it monopolizes the drag market like i was doing some research into it like listening to podcasts of like Mm. um some of the drag race girls like jasmine masters trixie katia violet uh courtney act um, they basically say that, like, it's it's not that it's a cash cow because you have to be incredibly talented and hardworking. Like, it's not it's not like um, reality TV where you can just be famous for being well-received by the public. Mm-hmm. It's obviously, like, takes an extreme amount of talent and hard work. But to, quote-unquote, like, rise to the top, there is a monoculture. Mm. And it's being a Rue girl. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the ones that don't are incredibly rare. Yeah, because there are a lot of ways to be a drag queen that actually have very little to do with being on RuPaul. And RuPaul is a very narrow conception yeah. of a drag queen. And occasionally we see those drag queens come on and like they'll do sort of well at the beginning because Ru, I think because Ru probably knows that drag race is getting this reputation so mm. who is the one like last... harks, sorry to interrupt probably like harks back to his own yeah beginning like as a really subversive club kid yeah like I the love... freaks and the weirdos of the 90s i love seeing videos of early rupaul when me too she was kind of like in her drag have you seen them on begging the... on the streets yeah. for money <laughs> it's like <laughs> listeners if you haven't seen it like go on youtube and you can find old episodes of this talk show called heraldo mm. which is kind of like I don't know, like Graham Norton or something. Graham. Graham yeah. Norton. And there's a 1990 episode with the club kids and RuPaul's in it. And they're like total outcasts and freaks. Yeah. But they're so cool and weird. Yeah. And they're such stars. Mm. But I think RuPaul has a fondness for that. Mm. But like eyes on the dollar sign. Exactly. So it's all about the moneymaker at the end. Like I'm trying, I'm still trying to think who it was last season who we were like, why are they still succeeding? Like why are they succeeding? They did like the bodysuit, always wearing black and white. Okay, guys, while Becca's doing this, we actually have a podcast um, recommendation that we're both super obsessed with, which is Nymphet Alumni. So good. I'd love to do a political theory Nymphet Alumni crossover. Okay. Um we've found the drag queen now so anyway yeah. just listen to Nympha and I'm like you'll really like it um yeah Aiden Zane yeah Aiden Zane is like the classic example of somebody that Rue knows is different and out there and keeps him for longer than they should be according to the logic of the show yeah because the logic of the show does not let those people in and so when we say like oh they should be gone they should be gone we we're taught we're like fully absorbed in the logic of the show yeah, at that yeah, point yeah. we're invested in like the person that does the best in this yeah. challenge should win. And Rue's kind of like likes the freaks and the weirdos because I think they probably remind Rue, as we were saying, of a of a younger and different time. And I think they also represent but, a kind of like um like an organicness or like an authenticity. Yeah. Which is lost among others. And it's kind of a shame that Rue has basically been caught up yeah. in her own you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Rue has really become the villain. Like, <laughs> the amount of shit that you see about RuPaul on, yeah. on TikTok. Not like... Um, but yeah, like... Because it's like... Fracking yeah. stuff. The... I'm getting so many bedtime yeah, reminders. Yeah, that's cool. Pip's just got a reminder on her phone to go to bed. Bedtime is set for 11pm. Wind down. 
it's quarter past ten for the listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is what Amelia Abraham says is like, drag is taken out of queer spaces, which allows for representation to penetrate the mainstream, which is really good. But then it allows us to think we are participating in drag mm-hmm. from the comfort of our mainstream spaces. Yeah. So the Amelia Abraham book that I read, which was called Queer Intentions, which I don't have on me to quote anymore, but it kind of, it basically grapples with this issue pretty much the whole way through. Like it has a chapter on drag race, but it also has a chapter on kind of queer spaces and the death of queer spaces and how that's partially because actually queer people feel a lot more comfortable being in non-queer spaces which now, is great which is obviously amazing but then she kind of laments the fact that actually queer spaces were very different to non-queer spaces and they had this different energy to them yeah and it's kind of like what what gets lost as you get mainstreamed and i guess it's that community authenticity in a way mm-hmm. and the idealism of of the fact that you have to make this utopia outside of the mainstream in order to even exist. And I think that as drag race has gone on in the US, it's become more and more polished, it's become more finessed, it's become more more careerist well that's so violet chachki who won season seven refers to season seven as the beginning of the end (laughs) which she's so fun i love her she's so like tongue-in-cheek but she basically says that the reason she did drag race was so that she could accumulate the wealth and exposure and then move away from it Mm -hmm. which is what i think a lot of them are doing which i think is so interesting Mm. that they are branching out and rather than billing themselves as you know rupaul's drag race star violet chachki performing Mm -hmm. it's her launching it's her literally going to the met gala it's her working with like jean paul gautier to model at fashion week Mm -hmm. it's not that they're doing less drag but it's that the drag they're doing the drag that they're doing is separate i i feel like rupaul's drag race has kind of almost become almost like a tacky thing to have been involved in in a way but also the only way that you can sort of yeah get that exposure in the first place rupaul's drag race to me in the u.s is like it just came through as you were saying that it's almost becoming like disney and then it <gasps> yeah it makes these people into massive stars and then they have to completely disassociate themselves from it because it's become so like normy yeah exactly it's like the fact that you you know drag race is watched by everyone and like there are all of these girls e.g us Us. being like hunty slay queen like and yeah the reason it's cringe is because it's mainstream exactly and it's got the association of us being like oh my god who's your favorite rupaul girl like but like being a disney star is the best way is one of the best ways to become a sustainable ariana grande exactly miley cyrus britney spears yeah like it's a way Selena to... Gomez. Yeah, exactly. Who else? Oh, Vanessa Hudgens, but she really... Went she really did Zac Efron. Yeah. Tin, Tinsley? No. Ashley Tinsdale. Ashley Tinsdale. I was Tinsley. Like, I was, like, confusing Tinsley Waterman. The old Waterman. mate Tinsley. Tinsley Waterman was obviously not on um, Disney. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's, like, becoming the Disney... And we... We joke about like the Disney industrial complex, and this is kind of like the drag industrial complex Yeah, this now. really is the drag industrial complex, and it just... That it's about you know accumulating these wealth among these individuals yeah. who can then go enough off and wealth start to distance elsewhere. yourself exactly. But you can't get the wealth unless you participate in the first place. Uh-huh. And well, I mean, Violet Chachki said like it's so commercially successful that it begins to eat itself, mm-hmm. which I think is it's very so true. true. Because um, so Amelia Abraham starts her chapter about drag con, which she goes to, and just kind of how incredible it is that this event exists for drag. And the tickets are like some crazy amount. I, I don't yeah. know the number of people going off, um, going off the top of my head, but it was you know it's like well into the thousands, right? yeah. like tens of thousands, I think, even across like a three day period. Yeah. And when you when you have that many people involved, I think this is the same with anything. Like yeah. basically, what we're saying is that the cooler something is, the less people that do it and yeah. are involved in it, and we're being massive gatekeepers. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But like. I think drag... I think most people that participate in drag at high level would probably agree that actually, like, there is an element of gatekeeping that you almost want and within it. You don't want it, but it's what makes it good and better and... Well, it's necessary elevated. because it's not so much... I suppose technically it is gatekeeping, but it's more like 
protecting a vulnerable community. Mm-hmm. That's like why it's but necessary in the first place. But what's I think sad about it is that um is that you can separate yourself from it only if you only if you have conformed enough and done well enough to succeed because if you mm. look at others I mean so, some people will never go on dra- like some drag queens will never go on drag race and will never be selected like um and a- Amelia Abrahams interviews a couple of drag queens who you know have maybe had an interview for the show and been told oh what character are you and they're like I'm not really a character on myself and they're like okay that's oh, not what they're work. being like are you going to be the loud one yeah exactly like, oh. are you going to be the bitch are you going to be there and like because it's a TV show and because it's a TV show run to a very specific format, there are some people who will nece- uh, necessarily be left outside of that. Yeah. And who will n- never get that opportunity to... Because it is the way that you make money and you yeah. sell tickets now. And I think, like, you can't necessarily begrudge very marginalised queer people for no making them money. No, no, no. Of course, you, I've, I'm literally not... I think that you should definitely go in. My kind of opinion in late capitalism today is like, get as much money as you can and fuck off. Yeah. Like, like, so Pearl from season seven did the game. Yeah. And now she lives in a... She's building... I, like, follow her on Mm. all platforms. Her and her husband are building, like, an eco-sustainable house in the mountains. Yeah, that is exactly <laughs> what I would do if I was ever on Drag Race. Like, I'd get myself that dollar and I would fuck right off. And she does, like, like, beautiful drag still mm-hmm. and then, like, will take beautiful photos in the woods and sell prints. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how she engages with drag now. I love that. It's so cool. But, like, what I'm saying is that not even everyone can make that money. Yeah. Because, because even though I'm saying that um, I think there's a limited pool of stars, actually, if you didn't have a platform which elevated the stars... I mean, look at us, like... Um, the stars? No, no, no. <laughs> like, the fact that we're going to a drag show in December... Yeah. All the way in Manchester, which is like, you know, we're going to have to go all the way up to Manchester, fuck around in Manchester for some time, but to see, like... Go the, find the Gallagher's. To see the stars of Drag Race. That's what, yeah, yeah, what we're yeah. doing. And I would happily go to like, a drag show in London. But I say that, but I don't even know, like, if they weren't on Drag Race or in my radar through Instagram, like, I don't know how I would even come into contact with with knowing that that show was on. Yeah. And, you know, Instagram as well is kind of similar to RuPaul in that I think it probably elevates quite similar types of drag because mm-hmm. they're both aesthetic the mediums. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to reward people that... Um, you know, in photos with the stars that have been on Drag Race yeah. and that are have their photos liked by people on Drag Race. That's how that's going to work. And so because you have this fame-producing machine, it's going to create... It's going to make the winners and losers of something which is already a game for winners and losers, like, even further apart. Like, I think it's going it to produce more them. inequalities. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Amongst, like, reception to your artwork, which I don't yeah. know if that's necessarily fair and I wouldn't begrudge anyone for going on it and making their money but I'm also like damn I wish we could all just like hold hands and be equal yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I yeah I think also what you're saying about the algorithm rewarding people who can participate in this particular aesthetic way which is not to say that all drag is the same aesthetically but more that you have to be aesthetically minded Mm. like whether you do black and white drag or like spooky drag or whatever mm-hmm. you're not going to be rewarded if you just like look a bit shoddy but you're an amazing lip syncer yeah because that doesn't come across definitely i mean so like even in the time that we've been watching drag race i remember when um i think it was kimchi who was the first one who did like incredible makeup like unbelievable looks. makeup yeah. and it was really unusual in her season because that yeah. sort of aestheticized highly instagram because she didn't really and like she would admit to this like had was very shy like found it really hard to participate in the challenges and her makeup was all about how it looks when photographed Mm -hmm. and more and more drag has become about how you look when you're still rather than how you move and that's a product of instagram being rewarded for that exactly and And i'm sorry no you go i was just gonna say i think there's important implications as well for racism and stuff like that like the black queens in particular get paid a lot less. Like, black queens with comparative Instagram followings Mm -hmm. 
and who've done comparatively well in terms of show rankings. You know, there's all those complicated rankings of like, where mm-hmm. did they come in the challenge? How far did they get? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Because they are not as rewarded in terms of likes and exposure, mm. they're less like desirable to be booked. Yeah. And that has parallels within drag race fandom which is so racist Mm. like really scary like I've been reading some stuff about it because I think it as we were saying when the subculture goes mainstream it exposes drag to people that are not involved in the subculture are not necessarily experiencing oppression Mm -hmm. so they don't engage with the kind of like activist compassion Mm -hmm. that is and thinking of like the early days, think about like the AIDS ball mm. that was a drag thing in, I think it was 1989. I noted it down. Yeah, the AIDS ball, Suzanne Barch's AIDS ball in 1989, they raised like $400,000, which, you know, 30 years ago is a huge amount of money. Still a lot of money, but yeah. like a huge amount of money. Because to be like openly queer and very openly performative in your mm-hmm. queerness, which is what drag is, like that was activism in and of itself. Whereas now people are able to engage and call themselves a fan and then also, like, go on Twitter and racially abuse drag queens. Because even to be a fan of drag and to be a fan of LGBTQ culture used to, you know, when you used to say, oh, I'm an ally, it used to be a a true statement, I guess, activism. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, to openly even admit to that, let alone participate was frowned upon yeah you're you're kind of like um what's the word like you're you're at risk by exposure it was a political it was inherently political to ally yourself to to queer culture in any form which it doesn't like it It should be but it isn't anymore no because it's been because to go mainstream is i guess to i mean the act of going mainstream means that you are having more people engage with those ideas and maybe rupaul is because RuPaul is RuPaul's Drag Race is fairly apolitical as shows it's very go. apolitical. Like even when they were telling everyone to vote last year, there was never any implication of who to vote who for. to vote for. Which actually, I think if you're coming from an LGBTQ background, like well, so you RuPaul's should be telling black. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Like and for, and actually, RuPaul's Drag Race as a show has all been has always been very good. We don't have this necessarily in the UK. But in America, you have, like, shows that have white people on and shows that have black people on. And RuPaul's Drag Race never conformed to that and always had, like, representation of both white and black queens. Not always balanced. Yeah. But, like, to even bring them together in a US... Like, if you... I was speaking about Real Housewives of New York earlier, but that was always a traditionally a white housewives show. Yeah, whereas Atlanta was the black one, wasn't it? Exactly. And, like, if you look at the housewives franchise, that's how they work. There are white ones and there are black ones. Beverly Hills white one. Exactly. And so to bring, um, like, to have representative reality TV, even if it was kind of an ironic gesture, was a big deal Mm -hmm. back in, like, 2009, was it? That was a huge deal. Um, So, you know, in its... In infancy, I guess it was more polit- it was more political back then because even to have it on air was more political. Yeah, and in Whereas, ten years it has been a big change. Uh huh. Where but last year to say vote and not to say vote against Trump is is kind of yeah insane when yeah. when you think about what Trump did for gay culture and for black people and for all minorities in America. Yeah. And say what you will about the other side, whatever. But I, I can't. Oh, yeah, this it... is this is not a Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden stand podcast. No, at absolutely all. not. But like, if but yeah. I was gay and black in America, I would be voting against Trump, vote, yeah. and I would want RuPaul to be saying, "Vote against Trump." Yeah. So I think the fact that drag race itself is so apolitical is probably because of like viewers, definitely, ultimately. And to have that as your medium which expands exposure mm. is damaging in some ways because or, yeah. or it depends it's difficult because no one wants to be sidelined forever. No. You want to be part of the mainstream, but then Yeah, no no subculture was like do you know what would be really fun if we couldn't do this in the open? But that, well, there are there are obviously some like punk and, and but that's not identity based. No, subculture. no, like there are subcultures that have been and like n- yeah, subculture is the wrong word. I think not identity. I think like 
subculture is almost right but like ident- there's a difference between identity based and like identities that you don't choose and identities exactly. that you do choose that's exactly what I'm trying to yeah. say and like I think there's probably some people amongst the and I actually well I know there are some people in the LGBTQ community who would want to not be part of the mainstream culture but then mm. there are other people who do and like that's I think that- that's the way the news goes <laughs> Ricky Ticky Tabby! <laughs> yeah, that's my favourite episode. <laughs> I love that one. Um, I think my, like, fundamental thesis on the whole thing... Yeah. What's lost when a subculture goes mainstream is the very nature of the subculture because to be mainstream today is to be incorporated into capitalism. Yeah. And, and also, not even today, to be a subculture is to be... I'm, I don't want to use the word beneath, but to be separate from culture. That's, mm. the, that's the whole point of a subculture. It is in some ways defined against the mainstream. Uh-huh. And so you can be incorporated into the mainstream, but you can't expect that the things that were oppositional will remain. remain. Oppositional. And some of those oppositional things will not have been chosen, such as, you know, things that have... Your gender kept... identity. Or, yeah. yeah. But, or not even that. I mean, like, some of the things that were discriminatory there were discriminatory oh, there are discriminatory yeah. reasons that you're oppositional but there are also things that you don't like or don't agree with mm. and there are benefits to being opposite there are things yeah. that you gain i mean like um another example that amelia abraham gives about this is gay marriage which is obviously like she was kind of really against the concept and was saying you know when we got gay marriage a lot of people stopped fighting for gay rights and that's one of the things that you lose is the more mainstream you become, the less activism is needed even within the subculture, which considering your whore not fully incorporated, it's not fully mainstream, that's the big issue with RuPaul as well. You know, like, yes, drag race has been mainstream, but I don't think that we are anywhere near to having like a mainstream acceptance of trans people. Definitely. Or 100%. to having, to even having a truly mainstream acceptance of, you know, a person in drag just walking down the street oh, in daylight. Totally. And like, that's the thing is that because you have the viewing figures going up, because you have thousands of like normal families. And when I say normal, I mean like your typical like redneck. The like, nuclear family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the yeah, nuclear yeah. family, like, sitting around watching Drag Race and coming to DragCon and, like, because you have those things, you can almost trick yourself into thinking we're there. Yeah. And you and we're not there yet. Butler, I like, I have a lot of issues with Judith Butler and I find her really frustrating to read sometimes. I find her really annoying. But there's this, so there's this one article that I think I've sent you. I think you, yeah, I think you have. So it's I a, don't think it, I've read it. Right, Sorry, bitch. <laughs> it's a 2002 article and it's called Is Kinship Always Already Heterosexual? Mm-hmm. And it's this whole thing on gay marriage. And basically what she her kind of thesis is that calling for gay marriage to be legal and like normalised at the same level as heterosexual marriage mm. places the power to grant legitimacy and recognition in the arms of the state and in a legal contract to bind you to state mm. obligations. Yeah. And what she says is the arguments for it, it's quite like a reflective piece and like quite a personal piece, which is why I find it a lot easier to read than a lot of her other stuff. But she talks about, she's obviously queer and she talks about her friends and her, her like um, queer family that she's kind of cultivated. And she says that a lot of them were against it because of this normativity and because it, it like, if you ask the state to legitimate you yeah you acknowledge that the state has the power to take away that legitimation as well also you acknowledge in some senses that you were illegitimate before exactly yeah and she also says that a lot of her friends and and what she refers to as her queer family they used to agree with her on those lines but as they get older they say things like pension inheritance (laughs) tax yeah and she's like it's impossible to articulate oppositionality when capitalism demand so much of you for your survival as like a a couple Mm -hmm. in a relation as a family yeah you can express that you don't think the state should be able to to give that legitimacy but who are you to sacrifice your family at the altar of your principles Mm. and it's just so hard to sustain that oppositionality when you have so much to gain Mm -hmm. by going mainstream like literally in your personal life and your survival 
Mm. Amelia Abrahams in her books, there's like a very similar thing, but anecdotally, where she was very much against gay marriage and still was very kind of set. At the end, she's not sure where she stands upon it because she believed that it was like, and when, and her friends did when they were younger, they were like, we don't need this. Like, this isn't for us. This is so yeah. against it's patriarchal. What it's, yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, I would never. I would never, like, force one person to be with me for the rest of your life. And then, not even as you get old, like, pension, tax, etc. But also just, I guess, like, settling down. You lose your radicalism. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, like, you know, it's that common saying of, like, if you're not left when you're young, you're cold-hearted. And if you're not Tory when you're old, you're, you're naive. Yeah. yeah. But, like, if you're not radically against gay marriage when you're young... <laughs> cold-hearted and if you're not willing to suck your partner's toes (laughs) till you're 75 when you're (laughs) older then you're and i think it just reflects how queer bodies are made vulnerable so it's things like um a really common thing i've been listening to the log books and call me mother which are Uh two really amazing podcasts um call me mothers by sean fay and then the log books is like a collective one Mm -hmm. and they document queer history and there's this phenomenon it's called um oh god I can't remember what it's called like denial of grief or like grief exclusion Mm. and it's this whole phenomenon of it's primarily came about people who were dying of AIDS Mm. and it was their life partners not being recognized like not being allowed to their funerals not getting anything in their will being kicked out of the home that they shared because there was no recognition Mm. so it's very easy to be like fuck the state, like, we don't need to be legitimated by the state, it doesn't have the power to define us, but when it's like, you're being thrown out on the street and not allowed to go to who was effectively your husband's funeral, Mm -hmm. that, you can totally see why mainstream matters. Yeah, because also, it's not even just about capitalism, it's we live in a a statist world, Yeah, and like, there's only so long that you can exist without the state, and at some point you will be a, a... um exposed to it through some vulnerability whether that be age or illness or i don't know bereavement yeah, you will yeah, be exposed yeah. financial to, hardship yeah exactly financial hardship you will be exposed to the state and you will have to conform to the state because it's like all encompassing because otherwise you die like and in the extreme sense at, at that point you will want someone else to be bound to you according to the state rules so that you can have that sail like, that raft together like, yeah, yeah yeah weather those seas because it is coming. And also with um, same-sex couples where one is biologically related to the child, you have to be married for that to be mm, to be recognised as both being equal co-parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the real evil here is the state. We always come to that conclusion. Oh, I <laughs> I've been reading so much James Scott recently, so I'm really have in you? a very anarchical mm. mood. And it, but it also means that opposition to the state becomes a, an act of radical individualism. Because eventually everyone is, as you said, everyone is exposed to it. And to, like, isolate yourself from it entirely. Yeah. No one can do that. And, like, we don't live, especially in this country and, like, in most in most countries, to be honest, like, because, you know, the nation state has taken over. There's no, there's no community barrier that will hold you against the state. There's no... This is, like, the, the logic of atomization. Like, you can have a community, a queer community, as much as you want. And ultimately, like when the planning permission comes and knocks down that building yeah. that was your building, when the, like, the tax collector comes and, like, takes your fucking taxes and everyone's too poor and has to go get, like, a real job and, like, yeah. wear a suit, you, your community will not necessarily save you in those situations, so... And, and not for lack of w- trying, but just lack of, like, capacity uh-huh. and resources. And, like, marriage is one of the ways that you can, like work around yeah that. yeah build your own community in smaller and state allowed terms and as like the nation state as an increasingly conservative concept and application values the nuclear family so much uh-huh. that it is a it's both fully state endorsed but also a refuge against yeah. the state like an englishman's home is his castle i think it's really interesting as well actually though that like because like the love marriage is obviously such a a recent invention and a very like uh-huh. western invention and it's interesting that like because ultimately like marriage is an economic contract and that's kind mm. of why like we turned it into a love thing so that we could promote it like not we i didn't do it <laughs> <laughs> as in like the love marriage is recent and it was sort of a way to 
envelop that yeah. economic contract in something that was a bit more palatable. Mm. But like, it's interesting that 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 the reasons that almost I feel like the gay marriage, like when gay marriage campaign ran, it was very much about like the love marriage concept. And actually, yeah. for so many gay people that I know, it comes down to the economic contract where they're like, we know we love each other, like we don't need a marriage. Yeah, program. but like we're thinking about this purely in tax terms and we want to get that big old tax break, baby. And like, I think that is such an interesting observation that like the pinnacle of heterosexual love is marriage. Mm -hmm. Whereas the pinnacle of queer love is like radicalism Mm. and marriage is a practical step that is taken. Yeah. And I think maybe that some of that comes from the fact that the like marriage campaign was for against and very like, I don't know. Actually, I... I would definitely, like... I would... Were we having a referendum or something now? Of course I'd be in favour of gay marriage. Oh, my God, obviously. But, like, it's not... But the reason I would be in favour of it... And this is me saying this as, like, someone who I guess is queer. But, like, I also don't feel like it's my choice to make as someone that's not... Like, as in, I would never... I I would feel, if I were to vote against it, like I Mm. was denying others. Yeah, exactly. Like... So, of course, I would vote for it. And also, I've got no skin in the game, and I do think of marriage... Like, I would get married. I think of marriage primarily as something that's got, like... That is an economic benefit with a really Mm. fucking great party. And we all know that queer people party better than anyone else. So, I want to go to as many gay marriages as possible. So, yeah, I do have skin in the game, actually. Yeah, you do. I want loads of you to get married. I I think everyone to get married so I can be invited to loads of weddings. Because I fucking love weddings. I think it's really funny when, like, a couple of my friends who are gay, when they're like, <laughs> we're going to get gay married. <laughs> I just find that really funny as a sentence. I won't say that I'm going to get gay married. When I'm older and I get gay, gay married. married. Yeah. <laughs> How fun. I might get gay married. I'd I definitely rather marry a woman than a man. Because, like, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't rather marry a woman than a man? I'm sure most men would agree I mean, with me. Yeah. Apart from the gay ones. And they can get gay married to other men. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ultimately, we're all getting gay married. Actually, there's nothing more, like, gay than a heterosexual marriage. Like, ugh. I Yeah, it's kind of camp. <laughs> it really is. It's becoming camp because it's such an ironic gesture now. I think it would be so camp if you married a woman, but you had the most heterosexual wedding. Like, live, laugh, love. Like, Manson? Manson. Mason Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A fairy light. Like, in a barn. Dried yeah. stems of flowers. Yeah. And, like, lots of little page boys running around. I feel like page boys are a very camp, but also simultaneously heterosexual gesture. My auntie and uncle, I mean, I've got fucking loads of aunties and uncles, but one of them, when they got married, it was just before I was born. I've seen the photos and all my other cousins were dressed as sailor page boys. <gasps> that is so I camp. I love that. Oh my god. I might have them I might have some like shirtless waiters dressed Ooh. as cherubs at my Butlers in the buff. Yes. Yeah. But like no bums, sorry. Oh. Uh. Well, I just ugh, I don't want pubes near the pudding. You can make them wax. I could. You'd have to pay for it, though. It'd be an unreasonable demand. I just... I also don't really want loads of bums out. That, they'll probably be better than mine. My bum's Yay! the only... Oh my I'm going to have arseless chap wedding dress. <gasps> Where you walk up the aisle and we all turn to see you. And then <laughs> yeah. as you go past <laughs> yeah. us... They're like, whoa! This is in the front oh, party in the back. I've got two weddings next summer. Oh, I don't my stepbrother and my stepsister. I'll ask if you can be my date. Oh, lovely. They're well excited. <laughs> that can be the start of my... Well, gay marrying neither of them are getting gay married no but i know that i could gay marry you oh yeah oh apparently there's um i don't uh, there's like a new york times article about there being loads of more like friend marriages recently oh, now we're on the topic of marriage we might as well yeah dive in dive in um which i find really lame yeah Guys, nothing says don't... like i couldn't find a husband like marrying your friend yeah, genuinely <laughs> and they're all like oh we just can't imagine life without each other and i'm like okay so just, just stay friends then don't imagine it then I, okay <laughs> just don't then <laughs> like i know i just said about marriage being an economic institution but like it's not that economic okay like it's still it's economically based but... also the whole point for me is the party and like yeah i don't even think they're having parties when they do it they're not even having ugh so it's like um, the legal contract without also, any of the fun. There's definitely going to end up being a situation where one of the friends, they're still like fucking around. 
obviously. Oh, but like, there's yeah. definitely be a situation where like one of the friends find someone it's gonna be really mm. awkward having to divorce your best friend yeah who gets like the alimony well just like that's really awkward it would be quite a good like uh never have i ever though never have I ever divorced my, my best, best friend. friend yeah i've divorced a couple have you no i haven't oh don't divorce me i'll try not to i'll try not to marry you either I'll try not to, but I can't promise anything. If you propose, I'll say yes. Don't you think public proposals are, like, the most mortifying <gasps> thing in the world? I kind of really <gasps> want... My ideal proposal yeah. is my partner turning to me and saying, when I imagine my future, I think it would be a good idea if you were in it, and I say, yes, I concur. Is that, like, have you got that from somewhere? No, that's truly, that is the, my ideal situation. I'd quite like to be sitting next to a man on the sofa and he reaches down and I think he's scratching his balls and then from underneath a testicle he pulls out a, a body temperature <laughs> ring. <laughs> he warmly slips it on to my slidey, he slippery on it, slips fingers. It on. Yeah, that's how I would be proposed to him. And he's like... Take notes, boys. Yeah. And on that bombshell... Well, boy, I'm like the tree for you. <laughs> oh okay. Well, that was fun. That was really fun. I hope you all had a fun time listening. Phone in if you're going to get gay married. Yeah, invite us to your gay weddings. Gay lords. Gay lords. <laughs> invite us to your gay weddings. Invite us to your straight weddings, which were actually gay because they're, they're camp in the yeah. original Sontagian. Ton Sontagian. Um, invite us to your camp weddings. Invite us to any of your weddings. I, I actually would weddings. love to come to like a m- traditional mason jar, live, laugh, love, barn, I've extravaganza. So many. I've got such a big family. Yeah, you're very lucky as well because you have a lot of like, I'm the oldest in my family. Mm. So, I, w- I mean, I won't be the first to get married, but like... You won't be the last. I'd quite like to have my husband die or my wife die and then get remarried when I'm really old and it's really sweet. Oh, yeah. I think that's kind of cute. But then the first one will always be like your true love. Uh. <laughs> okay, or not. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Well, I look forward to both. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, bye, losers. <laughs> bye, losers. Bye, losers.